Today's episode of Section 422 is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Their waterproof cordless body trimmer makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. These guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast, episode number 67. It is Tuesday, July 21st. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we'll preview the Brewers 2020 season. There are several news items to discuss as opening day against the Cubs on Friday draws closer, so we'll get to those items, and then we'll wrap up our conversation with a few predictions about the upcoming season. Uh, Will, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? Couldn't be much better, man. We're finally talking about a season, projections, predictions, all good stuff. I'm excited to get through it. It's been only about, you know, what, five months or so? So I'm good to go. I'm ready, I think. Long overdue. Plenty of news and notes to get to, though, as we begin things on this show. Ryan Braun didn't play again on Monday. Uh, Craig Council mentioned back, oblique, and neck as being the problem areas for Braun. Those are connected, but not necessarily all one problem. So I thought that was kind of a strange uh, description that Council shared. It seems very possible at this point, almost likely, that Braun could miss the opener against the Cubs. Maybe he'll be ready shortly after that, but where do we really stand with Ryan Braun at this point? Because he's been basically a ghost around camp lately. Yeah, well, we know he showed up to camp at least, right? He was taking batting practice. He was even taking some infield practice at first base for a little while too. So that was all pretty encouraging, I thought. And then it was right around the time where they started this blue and gold scrimmage series whatever they want to call it, the intra-squad games, really, that's what they are. And the funny thing about that was, of course, Avi Garcia and Omar Narayas were the captains for it, supposedly. doesn't seem to make much of a difference because of how many times guys have swapped and played both sides. But anyway, they had this draft going on, and Avi Garcia was like, hey, I, I picked Ryan Braun first pick. And, of course, that meant Yelich went to Narvaez. And that was kind of funny for a little while until we see that Ryan Braun didn't even play that first day. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting because they made it a point. He made it a point to say that he took him first pick and then the guy doesn't even play. And so it stemmed from that. And I think the next day was when I had asked Craig Council, like, okay, I'm just asking here because it was pretty noticeable based on all that context that I just relayed what's up with him. And, you know, Council really downplayed it at that point, saying that, you know, it was just aches and pains, just typical 
day off sort of thing for a veteran, which I bought, and I think everybody did to an extent because that's kind of typical. And Ryan Braun has always been that guy that doesn't really need or require that many at-bats for a, a preseason or a spring training or whatever you want to call it. So it was whatever. But fast forward a few days now, and he still hasn't played. So he has, I guess, a few at-bats under his belt from the previous scrimmages, but not enough to say that you are definitively ready for opening day unless you were to play maybe Tuesday and play in the exhibition against the White Sox. But that's really going far deep into something that, you know, I, I wouldn't want to guess on just because we haven't seen him play. So I don't not I'm not sure if that happens. And I'm not sure even if it does, if he'd be ready for opening day. Um, but the thing with him is that just because he's not ready for opening day doesn't necessarily mean that he would be on the IL either. So that's an interesting thing because if he were to be on the IL, then that opens up a spot on the roster. But if he's not, because again, you have 30 players and if he's going to be available a few days after the opener, do you really need to put him on the IL is a good question. I don't know. And I don't know if his injury requires it or not either. So there's so much up in the air with him. Um, it's, it's kind of a, kind of surprising to an extent just because it's been you know a few months between spring training and now and so it's unfortunate for these type of injuries to to creep up on him I guess he narrowed it down to just the oblique when he was talking with Adam McAlvey of MLB.com recently so there's that aspect but man it's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Ryan Braun these days yeah, and obliques, they're, I mean, in some ways they are like back injuries and in that they're so easy to tweak. Obviously, they're different. They're uh, up closer to the ribs, but uh, we'll have to see what happens here in the next few days leading to the opener. As you mentioned, the IL spot, you know, that would potentially create one more roster spot, kind of an important distinction for someone near the bottom of the mix right now if it plays out that way. Uh, some good news, though. Keston Hero returned to DH duties over the weekend. I saw him playing catch prior to uh, the blue and gold scrimmage on Monday. Uh, and last week, David Stern said that the arm soreness that Hero was experiencing doesn't appear to be related to the injury that he had coming out of college. So at this point, are you expecting Hero to be good to go for opening day? Yeah, I am. Uh, he DH'd a couple of times recently. Um, after sitting out a couple of days before beforehand, and then he played a little second base on Monday, so I think he'll be good to go. I think he'll be fine. They'll probably uh, take him a little bit carefully that first series, and with if, if Ryan Braun's not there, he could I could see him DHing during that series. I don't know how much, or you know, if it would be all three games or just one or, or any for that matter. But just throwing it out there as an idea that even without without Ryan Braun, he could occupy that DH spot and they could be okay that way. So he's good to go and that that's definitely helpful in the context of the Ryan Braun news because without without Hero, I mean, you're talking about things getting very dicey in a hurry for the Brewers. Yeah, he's a huge part of that offense and, you know, with both of those guys potentially missing Hira and Braun, things would really be taking a hit. But I think you're right. I think if Braun is unavailable, Hira is really the next option to DH, at least in the short term. I think defensively, some of the depth options the Brewers have are, are just better options at second base right now, even even if Hira is you know, improving defensively. We'll have to see how that plays out uh, over the course of the season. Uh, we did get some news on Brett Anderson. He was dealing with a blister, and he finally landed on the IL. So that raised some questions about who was going to start Saturday's game against the Cubs. Now, we know Brandon Woodruff will get the ball in Friday's opener. 
Corbin Burns was outstanding throughout camp, pitched well again in Monday's Blue and Gold game. 65 pitches in that appearance, Will, so that'd give him a path to about 80 or so, and having pitched on Monday, he's on track for Saturday. Have the Brewers made an official announcement yet regarding their plans for Saturday's starter? They have not, and I'm not sure when we're going to get it, but it lines up that Corbin Burns would take the ball, or he's at least an option on that traditional, regular, normal, whatever you want to say, five-man five, uh, five rotation rest. So that's that's interesting, but they don't necessarily have to abide by that. Of course, they could make some. They could make a different switch. Uh, they could they could change things a little bit. Uh, but you know, you got to think that he enters that rotation now, just because Craig Council, for as much as they want that flexibility and a little, and they're unconventional sometimes with their pitching staff. He did say that he wanted a five man rotation at the start, just so that they could keep guys on that normal rest. And so without Eric Lauer with him not being ready right now or quite yet for the opening day roster and now with Brett Anderson heading to the IL that opens up two spots actually and so conventionally speaking logically speaking it would be Peralta and Burns who occupy those two spots but we'll see no announcement yet and no announcement on the schedule beyond Brandon Woodruff and then of course beyond this weekend who stays in the rotation, I think, is still a question we really don't have the answer to. It is kind of a process of elimination thing as far as how the schedule is going to line up. Uh, Josh Lindblom is set to pitch on Wednesday, so he would not be ready to pitch over the weekend against the Cubs. He would be lined up to go Monday night in Pittsburgh. That's the Pirates' home opener, fourth game of the season for the Brewers. So if you put Lindblom there, you got Woodruff going on Friday for the opener. You start to look at everything kind of read the signs a little bit, it really looks like it's going to be Corbin Burns in that number two starter role, uh, possibly Freddy Peralta on Sunday, and that would leave Adrian Hauser to go Tuesday in Pittsburgh if that holds up. Um, obviously, everything is subject to change depending on what happens in the next couple of days because that's the key. If you go out and throw uh, 60 pitches, 65, 70 pitches at any point between now and the end of the week, that's going to impact when you're actually available to go again. Ray Black left Sunday's game with shoulder tightness, so it looks like he is IL bound to begin the season. So there's another spot that's going to open up. Uh, we'll talk about how the bullpen pieces might fit together here in just a few minutes. Uh, Logan Morrison and Justin Grimm both found out, I think, on Sunday that they made the team, at least when the team reported it to everybody else. Pretty interesting because if Braun is unavailable, Logan Morrison could end up picking up a little bit of playing time there. That's the other little wrinkle. Like if Keston here is not DHing, or if Justin Smoke gets a day off, Logan Morrison probably gets the opportunity to play in those spots. For sure. There's definitely a trickle-down effect, of course, with Braun being out if he's out. And that also, I, I would assume, includes somebody like Justin Smoke, too, because Justin Smoke would stay at first base. Don't have to worry about a platoon for a little while there. And yeah, Logan Morrison would be in line to receive some some more at-bats than he otherwise would at that DH spot. Or if they want to take Smoke out, they could put him at first base. I don't know if Logan Morrison, they feel all that confident with him playing left field. But I suppose at a pinch, he could do that. He was playing there a little bit during summer camp so far. But I'm not sure, again, if they're all that confident in that approach. But yeah, man, Logan Morrison uh, showed up to camp in really good shape. Lost some weight, has hit the ball pretty well, I, I've, I've thought, but he really earned it in spring training. And that's when he was hitting some home runs and he was looking really good. And he gives them something that they otherwise would not have as a left-handed power bat 
either off the bench and now the DH as a DH option for them as well. I do think the possibility of Morrison seeing an occasional nod in left field or a late inning replacement out there if he pinch hits could stay in the game is probably going to be similar to what we saw with Eric Thames in the past where Thames really wasn't an outfielder but he could go out there and, and handle the spot a few innings at a time if needed make a spot start on occasion if injuries kind of steered him in that direction uh, let's talk about Corey Knable for a moment I just want to get a sense of, of how he looks he's obviously going to be on the 30-man opening day roster he's a huge part of this bullpen and if everything's working the one-two punch in whatever order the Brewers are going to use Hader and Knable at the back end of the bullpen is really devastating to have those two guys working together. It could end games in the seventh inning some nights, depending on how things stack up. But how has Knable looked in terms of velocity, and how has that curveball looked over the course of camp? You know, Knable, man, he's not throwing 97 miles an hour. That's, that's clear. He's not throwing that right now. And so the question is, does he need to? Or can he get by right now? Or is throwing 94, touching a little bit beyond that in the 94.5 range, whatever, is that where he should be? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, It it gets a little bit to the point where I don't know if everything is quite sort of like hunky-dory with it, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's great, that sort of thing. But I do believe counsel and Corey Knable when they both say like this is where I want to be because what I think that means is this guy hasn't had he didn't have a minor league sort of traditional rehab assignment he's working his way back from a major surgery that takes time to get that velocity up as 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 we all know and so for him to be up close to where his max is he's a, he's a few ticks he's a few ticks away from it and I feel like in July, late July, from the surgery without playing in a game yet, I think that's fine. We'll find out, I think, later in the season if that's, if that number goes up, and I think that would be a good sign. But for right now, I th- I'm okay with that if, I, if I'm them, and I understand why they're saying they're okay with it and they're not alarmed by it because it was just a few weeks ago where the guy was throwing 90, 91, 92. So if there's a progression here is what I'm trying to get at. As far as the curveball, it's looked good, man. You could ask Eric Sogard about it. He struck out swinging uh, one recently in the dirt that I remember vividly. It's It's been really sharp. That's been the pitch that's really, every time he throws it, I feel like I'm raising an eyebrow and saying to myself, damn, that's that, that looks great. So he's been really sharp there. And I think that that one-two punch, man, you said it best. It could be something special. Um, but hey, by the way, I'll also throw in somebody like David Phelps into that mix. I mean, Phelps has looked really good. Uh, I've been super impressed with him. And you talk about a guy who's also had that surgery in the past. Wasn't all that long ago for him either. And his velocity is up to where it should be around high 94, 95, that sort of thing. And that's, those are really good signs for him because he didn't quite, it's a good example and somebody to compare Knable to because Phelps didn't quite get to that number until late last season in his first year back from Tommy John. You know, he had those first couple of months where his velocity was a little bit low for his standards and he picked it back up and then he had a nice little end to the season. So uh, for me to have all three of those guys, it's, it's a good bullpen right now. Plus you have Suter. I like their bullpen. I do. There's some question marks as we get into it, but not too many teams can, can boast uh, those type of arms. Opening day is here, which means it's time to drink beer and watch baseball, and there's no better way to do that than with Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs is a company that was started in a college baseball dugout. 
hence the name, dugout mugs. What they do is they turn the barrel of a baseball bat into a 12-ounce mug, licensed by Major League Baseball, so you can get the Brewers logo engraved right onto a Birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. It's perfect for opening day, for any big game to put on display, or to be the life of the party. If you're looking for a unique gift for a baseball fan, they are great for that as well. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. So let's actually put it all together and build what we think the 30-man opening day roster is going to look like. This is a piece that you put up on The Athletic. It came up on Tuesday morning. The starting five, at least for now, Woodruff, Burns, Hauser, Lindblom, Peralta. The order beyond Woodruff still TBD, but at this point, those five are pretty safely locked in at least as far as being members of the roster. So there's not a whole lot for us to, to dig into with those guys. I think the bullpen in particular is where it can really get pretty messy. You know, Hader is going to be obviously locked in. Knable, who we just talked about. David Phelps is going to be in it. Brent Suter is going to be in it. We know Justin Grimm made the team. Alex Claudio should be in that mix. Bobby Wall has been good this camp as well. I think JP Fireisen's looked really good. And then you start to say, okay, who gets those final spots? I just named eight relievers to go with five starters. That's only 13 pitchers. They've talked about carrying as many as 17 pitchers. Is it Devin Williams? Is it Eric Yardley? Is it Shelby Miller? Is it even Drew Rasmussen, who I think a few days ago was probably on the outside looking in, but with some of the players moving to the IL potentially, Maybe there is actually one more spot for a guy like that to emerge. So if you had to pick two out of Williams, Yardley, Miller, and Rasmussen to round out the bullpen to begin the season, who do you think gets those final two spots? Uh, for me, it would be Williams and Yardley. I, I think Devin Williams has looked exceptional in his outings. Craig Council had said the other day that he had never seen him that electric as far as his stuff goes. And he wasn't saying that and just being, you know, Exact, he wasn't exaggerating. I, I watched it myself, and I was super impressed with it. He, he looks excellent so far. He has that wipeout uh, changeup to, to, to go with that, that fastball. It, just, it all looks really good um, from a stuff point of view. And he has that major league experience that he that he had last year, so, and that helps his case, I feel like, where you know we're, we're talking about a couple of guys who have either not pitched in the bigs, big leagues in a while or they've never pitched in a big league game. And I feel like with somebody like Williams, who got some experience last year, wasn't a lot of experience, but he was able to get on the mound for the first time and, and have those feelings and understand what it's like. That's helpful for him. So I, I think that he's somebody that should be part of the group. And I, I think Yardley's an, a good guy for that too. He gives them a different arm slot, a different arm angle. He's different from the other guys. And I think that's the mark. I think that's what makes this bullpen potentially really good is that they're not all the same type of pitcher. They bring so many different things, so many different elements, so many different styles. And Yardley is certainly somebody that's unlike anyone else of that group. And then I like him a lot. He, He's also another guy that Council has listed as somebody who's been sharp so far. Um, the funny thing is, though, is that Council has mentioned like really all those guys. And the thing about that is that they haven't had anybody else really pitch. I mean, there's 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 other guys to consider, like a Zach Brown or 
Shelby Miller, like you said, or Jake Faria. But like those guys are not on the roster. Those the other guys that we talked about are all on the forty man roster. They're expected to pitch at some point in the season. And now because of the injuries or the uncertainties surrounding a few pitchers, I think we're at the point where we're down to these guys and and they kind of have to be on the opening day roster. Yeah, and I think it's going to be difficult for them to actually carry 17 pitchers. I don't think they have 17 that they want to carry right now. I think in your piece, you ended up with, with 16. And that sort of makes sense when you start to look at the position player group. It does kind of feel like Devin Williams is a lock at this point. Uh, so maybe we can kind of more safely put him in that category. Uh, Brett Anderson, of course, IL, Eric Lauer, IL. I think the tough decisions are going to come when rosters begin to shrink. Two weeks into the season, we go from 30 to 28. Four weeks into the season, we go from 28 to 26, especially if guys like Anderson and Lauer and some of the injured position players are completely healthy. I mean, new injuries are going to come up. Hopefully, there are no issues with the virus, but you have to worry about that too. But as that roster gets smaller, I think that's when things are going to become uh, even more difficult to manage if you're Craig Council and David Stearns. On the position player side, I think this is a little easier to map out. You get the two catchers, of course, with Narvaez and Pena, Smoke, Hira, Arcia, Sogard, Yelich, Kane, Avisail Garcia. Ben Gamble looks like he's a lot safer now, especially with the expanded rosters. Logan Morrison, as we talked about before, he's definitely on there. Uh, Jed Jerko and Brock Holt are both in the mix, of course, as uh, bench players here as well. Uh, what do you think about Ryan Healy? At this point, is he actually safely a part of the 30 man roster, at least to begin the season? I don't know about that. I think that he's an interesting guy to consider if Ryan Braun is unable to be on that opening day roster or if he's on the IL to start the year, then that that could make you think, okay, maybe they maybe they would want another position player and Healy would be an option. He's he's looked good playing first base and third base so far. He's made some hard contact pretty consistently. I like him. He has that prior experience, too, of success at the big league level. So he's he's intriguing. There's a lot to like about him. But, you know, like you said earlier, Derek, because of the amount of pitchers that they want to take, it really limits the amount of position players on this team to start the year because we're talking about 16 or 17, and I'm with you. I don't quite see 17 pitchers. I have 16 pitchers with Shelby Miller included, and he's a non-roster invitee. Um, so... That uh, tells you kind of all you need to know about that situation. They're already down to you know number n- number eighteen and nineteen and possibly twenty on their pitcher list right now. So it, it gets hard to come up with those names, but still they they want to have that amount and they probably should w- with uh, th- the season coming up. And I think for the first two weeks that's the way to go. And so if that's the case, it, it limits the amount of position players. And I just feel like. As much as I personally like Healy's game, I just see him on the outside looking in a little bit. That said, him, Matthias, Peterson, those for me would be a part of the group that's on that fringe list that would be next man up if they if they do want to go that route. Yeah, I guess we have to see if Braun gets IL'd and if Luis Urias can return from the COVID protocol. But is there any indication at this point that Urias is going to clear protocol and in time to be ready for the start of the season it seems like he's just kind of stuck in a holding pattern right now yeah zero indication so far (laughs) he's yet to uh have two negative tests as far as we know and that's the requirement so and he's on the il currently so you know that's something to account for we'll have to see if that changes in the next few days let's move on to a few predictions 
we're going to do this a little bit different. We're not going to predict an MVP for the Brewers. I mean, come on. I think we all would probably pick Yelich to win the MVP on this team. I think that's pretty reasonable. But I think there's a few interesting wrinkles that this season presents. And I want to ask for a few from Will. First, the most impactful player starting the year in Appleton. So we just built a 30-man roster. There's a few names who are going to be on the outside looking in. Of those players, who do you think is the most likely to come up and make an impact at some point this season? Yeah, for me, it's Drew Rasmussen. I mean, he's somebody that Craig Council said would start the year in Appleton, and he outlined the reasons why, saying that, hey, this is a guy that is coming off a couple of injuries, um, is getting robbed, really, of a big development year for him. But there's also the aspect of, hey, this guy... They may want him in Appleton just for to manipulate some service time too. Like let's let's I'll, I'll put that out there uh, just to kind of say like hey that that may be part of it that will go unsaid. But I feel like from watching these scrimmages, you can't tell me that there are sixteen or seventeen better pitchers than Drew Rasmussen right now. I mean he's been electric, like hundred miles an hour fastball. He's throwing off speed stuff that's just unfair. I feel like all the pitchers have looked pretty good, so I don't want to get too crazy here. But, man, you could really talk yourself into Drew Rasmussen um, being a valuable part of that bullpen. But it will be interesting because, like you said, the rosters shrink over time. They don't expand. They get smaller. And so when will they bring them up? Um, I don't know. Uh, But I feel like out of the guys, he's probably the safest pick to make an impact if he if he does indeed start the year in Appleton, which could change because, like you said, there, there's there been some injuries since Craig Council has said that. But hearing how adamant he was about that plan, I feel like that's going to happen. So for me, he's the most impactful guy. So if they go that route, just to preserve service time so everybody listening is familiar with how that's going to work this year, it's going to take six days not on the big league roster for players who have no service time to be protected for that extra year. So what we're really talking about here is ensuring that Drew Rasmussen wouldn't become a free agent until after the 2026 season, which sounds like a made-up year, by the way, given hmm. the trajectory 2020 has been on. But that's what they're thinking about. If they wait just a few days, less than a week, they could bring him up for the third series of the season and They'd have one extra year of club control, which certainly, if you're thinking about Rasmussen as a guy who's a long-term piece in the back end of your bullpen, that extra year is probably worth waiting for. I think where it gets a little bit dicey is in a shortened season. Every single game is more important. Every game's magnified. Your margin for errors are a lot smaller. But with most of those bullpen pieces currently healthy, it's probably a gamble the Brewers are willing to take at this point. We'll have to see if they change their minds on that. Um, So I'm with you. I think he's probably the most impactful player starting the year in Appleton. There's really nobody else on that group that just jumps off the page who feels like a glaring omission from the roster. There are a few interesting depth players who could come up and contribute at a high level if the opportunity arises. But Rasmussen looks like a lock at this point to do something good for this Brewers team. A lot of options for this next one, Will. Most impactful player new to the organization in 2020. There was a lot of turnover on this roster, uh, despite you know second consecutive playoff appearance in 2019. So of all the new players, the free agent signings, the acquisitions via trade, who do you think is the most impactful new player in this organization this season? 
I can get really weird and say somebody like Brock Holt because of the amount of positions he's going to play and, and how many at-bats I could see him getting and, and him probably coming up with some timely hits and making some nice plays on defense and doing those sort of little things for you. But I'm going to go pretty obvious here and go Avi Garcia. He's the best player that they acquired, in my opinion. I think that with Ryan Braun being a huge question mark right now, it's his Garcia's importance is even higher heading into the season. And then he's another guy that there's a lot to like about him, man. He's he's six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, and his sprint speed is really, really good. Like he's fast, he he plays really good defense, and he could really hit too. I mean, like his advanced stats on, on barrel and um exit velocity, they're all pretty good. Um I so I like Garcia. I think there's a lot to like about him too. He's going to be a big part of their lineup. I don't know exactly where he'll slot in to that lineup every day. Somewhere behind Yelich and Hira, I would assume, of course. But I expect a lot of production from him. I really do. Yeah, I was trying to think about this. Where where would he really hit in the batting order? Probably in the middle third, at least, like fifth or sixth. Kind of depends on who's in the lineup that day, how they could break up the lefties a little bit. I mean, Omar Narvaez has been crushing the ball in camp. I love him as a hitter in Miller Park. All of his power is really to the pull side. If you're a pull left-handed hitter at Miller Park, good things can happen. Uh, I think he's probably second on this list. If he were totally healthy and he didn't have uh, the setbacks with the wrist back during spring training 1.0, Luis Urias, I think, would have also been someone to think about for this. I think the way his season has shaped up so far, it's not going to keep him from doing something this year it's just going to probably reduce the impact he makes maybe by the end of the season though he's a fixture in this lineup and somebody we're talking about a lot more often let's go to the final record for the brewers in this 60 game regular season what's the final win total i'm gonna go 32 wins i I feel like that they're a team that can avoid some bad stretches because they have christian yelich first but also they're they're pretty good with the way they use their pitching staff, and I think that that approach will help them cut their losses a little bit, uh, avoid the long losing streaks. So I just don't see any sort of major pitfalls with the team, but I have a hard time also with their schedule saying to myself, like, they're going to really take off on this day and go on a tear until here. I just it doesn't jump out in my mind as to when that will occur. If it if it does, it probably happens a little bit late in the season when their schedule, in theory, loosens up a bit and they get some of the worst teams in the league. <laughs> you know the, the ability to play those guys, but I feel like they have a pretty tough schedule uh, early on and in August, and so that's going to decide their season, of course. And I feel like I feel like they could be around 500 for a little while during that stretch and then i feel like they'll pick up some some wins in september and i i I would put them as a playoff team but as one of those wild card spots or as a team that kind of just gets in yeah i think what's interesting about the nl this year the dodgers are still projected to win the nl west by a pretty large margin when we're only talking about a 60 game season the projections have them about five wins above the padres it's really going to depend on how teams like San Diego and Arizona and even Colorado, like how they fare, like where their win totals go in determining how many wild cards come out of the NL Central. If you look at the NL East, 
I think you're probably getting one wild card there and one from the Central, most likely. The Braves and Nationals are right next to each other. 32 wins projected for those two teams. The Mets are up there at 31. I don't think the Phillies are necessarily bad. They're at 29 and a half. So I think the way those two divisions, the East and the Central, are set up where there's so much parity, those win totals are going to be flat. Like you look at the NL Central playoff odds at fan graphs, the Cubs, Brewers, Reds, and Cardinals have at least an 18.9% chance of winning the division. They're all above 32.9% playoff odds right now. That's pretty good Like to have four teams all like that, but that just means they're going to beat up on each other a lot this year. And as I think about how each of those four teams are built, the team that I think is actually the best on paper in the division is Cincinnati. I think the Reds, with the offseason they had, with the changes they made a year ago, bringing in Derek Johnson as their pitching coach, changing a lot of organizational philosophies, uh, doing what they do with Driveline and, and Kyle Bodie. They've become a very well-run organization, but they also have talent all over the place. I think their starting rotation runs at least six deep. I like the way their bullpen's built. They've got an offense that was actually kind of built to take advantage of the universal DH this season as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if Brewers-Reds ends up being kind of the the back-and-forth battle for the very top of the division, but the Cubs and Cardinals are still right there. I mean, I think for two teams that didn't do nearly as much as the Reds and Brewers in changing their roster this winter, they still did a lot. They still did enough. So um, I do think the Brewers are a playoff team. I think it probably is by way of the wild card, though, as you suggested. Well, I couldn't be more excited. We've got a game coming up on Friday. It's going to count. It's going to be amazing. Looking forward to getting the season started and you know, enjoy opening day. Yeah, man, I couldn't be more excited about it, too. Uh, finally, it's here. I'm with you. I think it should be a cool season for the Brewers one way or the other. I think they'll make it very interesting toward the end. And it's 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 a stacked division in the sense that it's really competitive, like you outlined. So we're probably going to see some more weird stuff. And <laughs> I'm excited about it, man. I'm right there with you. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. Find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to scoop up that subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 422 to get 40% off. If you have questions for us to get to on a future episode, please send those our way via Twitter. We're happy to answer those. If you're enjoying this show on a platform like Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a rating and review, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. Enjoy opening day. We're back with you next week from Section 422.